It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name's James True Penny. This is my show. And today we are looking at Big Japan Pro Wrestling on the Beginner's Guide to Japanese Wrestling. It's our first look at a BJW show. They're actually three years into their history. However, I wanted to start with something, give them chance to settle themselves in, shall we say. Also, the early shows aren't really that readily available on YouTube, so you can find them easily. However, a man who does know, one could say, wrote the book on BJW. Not the actual book, but certainly a lot of the articles floating around the internet. Mr. John Dinsdale, how are you, sir? I am good. It's not the crack of dawn. I have binge-watched a bunch of BJW death matches. I got to see some of the classics in action again, and... Yeah, I'm just kind of excited to talk about the absolute madness we witnessed. Well, we've always pointed out that John thinks 11 o'clock in the morning is the crack of dawn. I mean, it, that's a it conversation is. for another day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, I did. John has worked very hard for the Troopany show in the last few months and, and doing extra episodes with me when I've had days off. So we've got some spares and so we're not mad rushing about what's COVID 19 is happening. And obviously not everyone can get on the show because of, you know, key worker stuff, one thing or another. So um, with that in mind, I did point out that John is a massive fan of Big Japan Pro Wrestling. So I promised him some Big Japan and he got some Big Japan. And there's two shows available on YouTube from 1998, readily available. The ones that come up with the searches first, which is usually the best things to do because you can get all of them easily enough. And the first one kind of shows where BJW at is in 1998. But we haven't done much history of BJW, so let's start with them. It is a company that was started by Shinya Kojaki and Kendo Nagasaki. Not that Kendo Nagasaki, not Pete Thornton, or Pete Thornley, sorry, uh, from uh, London. The other Kendo Nagasaki, as in the Dragon Master Kendo Nagasaki. Uh, gentleman who passed away last year, that was, uh, was also known as Mr. Sakurado, Kazu Sakurado, it was his full name, had the audacity of training Mr. Brett Hart at the dungeon. And Brett was a big fan of his and always liked to give him a, a lot of props. Um, and he was one of the founding members of uh, the BJW Dojo uh, and one of the founding members of BJW in general. Also had a hand in war and various different other promotions outside of all Japan where he really started. Um, and it was kind of like based on the idea of FMW and of Wing. By this point, the IWA Wing uh, kind of factions that have gone on for quite a few years have kind of developed down and duffed appears into the distance. IWA still exists, but they're a comedy company these days. They don't really bother with the deathmatch stuff. Though Go Tarzan Goto does appear from them from time to time just to break stuff off somebody's head. <laughs> but it's not really deathmatch wrestling. And Wing had kind of been absorbed, or certainly their roster had been absorbed into FMW. But not all of the roster wanted to go to FMW. Some of the roster were kind of like, eh, not our scene, because uh, Onita's come back and we don't want to be overshadowed again, such as Mr. Pogo and so on. So BJW had a kind of mix of new talent and a mix of older stars. And 1998 is a good period of time for them because they're trying to break through into a fairly crowded market. As you've historically seen with the history of Japanese wrestling, the mid to late 90s is when things have really exploded. And there's lots of money about, but also there's only so many roster spots. Um, so a company that's doing this, where they're actually building a dojo and trying to build a company from the ground up, 
is a very different approach than say what New Japan were doing at the time, which was paying big bucks to big stars to come in and pop houses, which they were doing. But BJW was after a sustained business model. And 20, what, 22 years later, they're still there. It's their 25th anniversary this year. And other companies that were much bigger have fallen by the wayside. So, John, what do you think of BGW's start? You literally wrote a load of articles for Steel Chair Wrestling Magazine, which you can go find if you search for them on the internet. What did you think of BJW's start as a company, the company philosophy? How would you explain it? And what's the great thing about this mid-90s, uh, mid late-90s version of the Big Japan Pro Wrestling product? The Big Japan is an interesting one because a lot of people assume that because it's based on FMW they wanted that sort of sim sort of star power but in reality it was there and kind of found its niche through the need for what people were dubbing as trash wrestling it was they wanted something bloody they wanted something violent and FMW wasn't quite presenting that anymore but BJW were quite clever about this because obviously as you said they wanted something sustainable so they had they decided to cater to everyone. They picked, they started their dojo, they made their own stars, they brought in a few others from other factions that didn't want to go to FMW, and yeah, they made their company from the ground up and made their name kind of in a similar way to FMW through gratuitously named death matches. But they also had a like really really damn talented strong style fighters mat technicians junior divisions women's divisions they kind of just threw everything at the wall to see what would stick and it often paid off for them like on both shows here they've got a pretty raucous crowd mm, definitely and it's it's an interesting and different crowd as well they are attacking some bigger halls with not necessarily great results as far as numbers in the hall is concerned but it's kind of like them trying to find a niche spot, isn't it? They're still a two or three year company and both of these events are standing room only. You know, they sold the tickets they expected to sell. So it, it's uh, it's an interesting time period for them. And it's certainly like the success they have now where they're one of the highly respected organizations in Japan. You know, it, you do notice that BJW were invited to the Giant Baba uh, Memorial Show, to the Destroyer Memorial Show, which isn't something that would have happened 20 years ago. They were considered the young upstarts. Certainly, Baba would never have allowed BJW on a, a show with all Japan wrestlers. <laughs> it's, it's like the equivalent of Vince McMahon going, uh, allowing the opening match at WrestleMania to be uh, put together by uh, a local outlaw company from Skegness. You know, that was the attitude they had to Big Japan at the time. But actually, it's not that bad a wrestling company. In fact, it's a very good wrestling company. And like you said, the thing that kind of like really struck me is the early days of FMW, that three-ring circus. Bit of lucha, bit of strong style, bit of submissions, some joshi, uh, try a few different things, and then finish with a big brawl. And that's a winning formula. FMW proved it, proved it too. I mean, these days, the company is run largely by Shimya Kojiki. Kojika. Sorry, I should pronounce his name properly. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nagasaki left in 1999, the following year. But he was still an active wrestler for the company at the time. Um, and did. A, it was a very heavily all-Japan-influenced King's Road style. And obviously, that's where BJW put their money, is in the big King's Road style. 
also around this time, I think it may be a little bit after, they had an interpromotional feud with New Japan Pro Wrestling, and they knew they were going to get hammered because it's New Japan Pro Wrestling. But they took the hits to get the exposure, which did them no end of good. You know, this is they're very clever in how they do things. Now, me and uh, Alex Edwards did review a BJW show from 2019, and I will admit then I wasn't that keen on the violent stuff. Because a lot of the modern violent stuff in BJW kind of looks contrived. It's kind of like, stay there, lay down there whilst I set this spot up kind of stuff. And it's not my cup of tea. This, however, is not like that. This is much closer to FMW. And you've got guys like Mr. Pogo and Jason the Terrible, both FMW alumni who know how to put a match together. They're a bit ornery to work with, but they are artistically very satisfying to watch. Would you say so? Oh, definitely. In fact, if you just most of the names in these matches have sort of gone on to become like legends in like the deathmatch annels. So you got Mitsuhiro Matsunaga, Pogo, Shadow WX, Jason Terrible. There's just a whole host of sort of big name deathmatch guys. And they all work together to put on just a glorious spectacle and would continue to do so to make sort of the BJW deathmatch title that eventually gets brought into the company something special. Yeah. And they also have a strong style championship now, which isn't really strong style. It's more King's Road style, but strong style is kind of a, uh, uh, a wider catch all, isn't it? It's kind of the strong division. Yes, that's they it. Try, they try to cleverly make it both styles to fit whoever holds it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we should do one day a full breakdown of all the different variations of King's Road and Strong Style and the subtle nuances of each individual style, but it would take forever, and it's really not what the, the story about what we're talking about. Basically, what you really need to know is martial arts is, is kind of what Strong Style is about, treating pro wrestling as a martial art within an entertainment base, and King's Road Style is using prof- traditional professional wrestling as a narrative device. I think that's probably the fairest way of saying it. You know, it's about creating tension. Um, I think we did said about this before, but like modern New Japan is actually much closer to King's Road style than it is to traditional strong style. There are a couple of strong style guys, obviously Minoru Suzuki being the absolute pinnacle of that, Zack Sabre Jr. But the actual story style, telling style of guys like Okada and Ishii comes from Giant Baba, not from Antonio Inoki. Anyway, let us go on with BJW. Like we said, a King's Road style company, very much about telling stories in the ring. And the first match we're going to look at is from the fifth, sorry, the first of fifth of January show. Get it right? Because <laughs> uh, it's because it's, it's, it's different dates. That's why. Um, Big Japan Pro Wrestling. It was from Toda Satama Japan in Toda City Sports Arena. Two thousand four hundred people. A crowd not to be sniffed at, even for the time. Uh, saw an excellent day's wrestling. It started off with Tadahiro Fujisaka versus Potro Salvaje. Okay, which is, as you'd kind of expect, a bit of a lucha name. And he was a bit of a lucha wrestler. And this was a very fun opening match between two young wrestlers. Would you not say, John? Definitely. Um, both guys had a hell of a lot of energy. They both wanted to put on a show. And Buffalo Salvaje has a habit of throwing himself out of the ring. And going way too far with it. <laughs> like I think across both shows he does this sort of 
uh, springboard moonsault to the outside, and I think at only one point is he even remotely close to being like caught. <laughs> he just he overshoots everything, and like he he seems really talented in ring, but he also seems incredibly clumsy. <laughs> yes, I would agree. To be fair, I don't mind if you're a clumsy wrestler. It just it just adds an extra layer of entertainment to me. Uh, who won that one? That one was won by Pedro Salvege, who is not a well-known pro wrestler. In fact, he isn't even on Cage Match, which will tell you how unpopular he is. <laughs> but there you go. Uh, I'd never heard of him until we saw these no, two I shows. No, I hadn't either. So, yeah. But yeah, 12, 11 minutes and 43 seconds. Next up was a bit of a corker of a tag team match. Janusuke, Kobayashi, Yuchi Taniguchi, they defeated Makete Sato and Masahiro Motegi in 12 minutes and 37 seconds. Now, Jensuke Kobayashi, you will know more likely as uh, Abdullah Kobayashi for his likeness to Abdullah the Butcher. But he was a swimming svelte 280 pounds back then, and he moved like a goddess. Not really, but he was a lot quicker than he is these days. <laughs> what did you think of this match? As you said, it was really damn fun to watch. Um, Mako- I was looking at the names and I've completed. There we go. Uh, Saito and Mategi were both being very surly towards Taniguchi and Kobayashi, and you could bloody tell. Like <laughs> they might have won, but uh, yeah, they got they got beaten the hell up for a lot of this match. But as you said, it was a great little tag match. It was a lot of dynamic action, not a lot of slack. And yeah, it was a bit of a, the 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 two smaller gentlemen were on the jobbing side, but it was good. It worked really, really well. Makata Saito now is with Dragon Gate because he was trained by Ultimo Dragon and uh, Animal Hamaguchi, and he's Kness in Dragon Gate. Oh damn! There you go. Uh, no, uh, Masayoshi Motegi is a freelancer. He's fifty-seven years old. Bless him. Bless his cotton socks. Who's he working for these days? Uh, his last match was would have been that. Um, I'm guessing it would be that. Uh, yeah, he was in the battle royal for the uh, Kintaro Kanemura retirement show. So he came out of retirement for that, and then he did some FMW stuff, and he's been for for several other people. But yeah, so it, it was kind of like a mid carders match, but there was a lot of potential with Kobayashi, obviously. Um, and Taniguchi as well, still with the company, still working for them. So it's kind of like, here's what the future of Big Japan Pro Wrestling is going to look like. Yeah, definitely. They were trying to sort of show how popular their young, well, how good their young generation of talent was. Yeah. So we'll move on to the next match, which was a six-woman match between Aya Koyami, Miho Kawasaki, and Netfali. And they defeated Keio Numi, Miho Wakizawa, and Noriyuki Toyoda in 16 minutes and 4 seconds. A lot of names there. A couple will be familiar to you, but it's basically a lot of different companies provided people to this match. There was a Joshi company called JD. Uh, I think it was uh, Naomi who came from then. Net Farley was trained by... Where did she come from? She came from uh, Italy. Oh, sorry, CMLL originally. Um she was from Mexico City, so there was Luchadores there, uh, Noriyuki Toyoda, 
has started off her career in All Japan Women. She's only two years into her career at that point, so she was probably getting some seasoning by going to Big Japan, and she didn't last much longer in the business. But Miho Wakizawa is probably the most famous of these six, and she would go on to be, believe it or not, the backbone of the early stardom promotion. She, she basically retired in 2001. Uh, she was trained by JD and uh, All Japan Women. And she wrestled for all the big companies like JWP and stuff in the uh, late 90s. Then she retired <laughs> in 2001. And when she uh, came back for the Yumiki Hotter 25th anniversary show in 2009, and then she was managed to persuade by Rossi, persuaded by Rossi Agawa to come back in 2011 to wrestle full-time and look after the junior roster at Stardom. And I've watched no end of uh wacky wacky zawa matches because she's hilarious she's really good a really good fun wrestler she finally retired uh in 2014 she had a three-year run though where she came back um and she, her last some of her last matches included uh the forever passion shows um where she tagged again with uh, natsuki teo uh back in the heyday of stardom with the really big roster when they were really going with, with Yoshiko and Yasukawa. She was in that period with uh, Jazzy Gabbert and Alpha Female, one of my favorite periods of any wrestling company ever, actually. You know, before it all got very dark and very serious <laughs> and people ended up losing their sight. Anywho, um, it was fun wrestling back then. It's not so much fun wrestling right now. But yes, this was a fun match, and it's, it's your kind of standard Joshi, we're all running for a job let's let's stay employed match wasn't it really the joshy car crash match joshy car crash match is a way good way of putting it yes just keep hitting each other and something will happen great and it was it that was a lot of fun it reminded me of the two matches we got on the stadium show the six hours of hell yes card because those joshy matches were kind of similar in that it was just right the six of us Let's all go out there, make a mess, and then make someone else follow. <laughs> and you can tell they're just having a lot of fun with it and some of the things they set up. Especially the sort of... Oh, I can't remember. When they've got... They're in like a three-person... A two-person submission, and the other last just comes and jumps on her back and it's like, hey! And they get yeah. drop kicked off. That was a very, like... You hadn't seen that in wrestling up till that point. It was the early days of striking, opposing a submission hold in Joshi. It was a very Joshi thing to do. You know, men wrestlers wouldn't do it because it's unrealistic, whereas Joshi wrestlers would do it as a break for a minute just to get a breather and just something different. Because, like, the thing is with Joshi by this point, everybody's done everything and you've got to stand out one way or another, haven't you? You've got to find something different to stand yourself out with. Definitely. They were trying to do that on the fly. And a lot of the time it works, and every now and then it doesn't, and it, it just feels organic. Yeah. It doesn't feel like a put-together match, which probably helps their case quite a bit, because it just makes it stand out more. It's like, well, they went out there, put on a match that felt like a fight, probably seriously hurt each other a couple of points, and put on a show. That's, that's all you need to ask of them. Especially with the absolute mess of a card they've got they got quite a nice spot and they did a lot with it yeah 
you know, and you've got potential with Miho Wakazawa there. You see she's going to be really good, probably the best of all these six wrestlers, really. Uh, Noriko Toyota also looked really, really good as well. But, you know, there's only certain people who could make it over a period of time, and Wakazawa did a good job. She was brilliant, and this was a thoroughly entertaining match. And it's like, you've also got to bear in mind, we've only heard of one of these six people, and they were exceptionally good. And you still have to think about, like, how good did you have to be to make it in Joshi in the mid-90s? You had to be better than anyone ever has been before. And it's just insane, really. It's just another one of those matches where you look at it, it's like, this, this is just madness. Um, but there you go. Right, we'll move on to the next tag match, which was Ryuki Yamakawa and Tommy Akahama, who we know of, uh, Mac versus Mac Junji and Mamoru Okamoto, 22 minutes and 32 seconds. A true clash of styles match. Homer and Yamakawa went over in a really, it was really entertaining. It was really well put together. They still, they clearly believed a lot in these two junior heavyweights. Hard to believe that Homer was a junior heavyweight. This was, you know, before the horribleness and uh, various other things that have gone wrong in his life and things that were his own fault. Um, but uh, as a young wrestler, you could see Star written all over him. Wrestled in a completely different style. These days, it's kind of a stand-up brawler. It's all very much clotheslines and, you know, Kakeshi headbutts. Whereas back then, he was a bit of a shooter and a bit of a dangerous shooter at that. He looked really good in what he was trying to do. What are your thoughts on this one, John? This was great, though. I will never understand why. Again, I've got to stop going off the names list. Ryuji Yamakawa was wrestling in jeans. (laughs) I hadn't noticed. I thought he was just wearing blue tights myself. No, the jeans. He's got a belt and trainers on. He's just ah. there in street fight again. <laughs> but maybe, yeah, Honda. Maybe Honda he lost his stuff. Maybe. Yeah, Honda was, Honda was in like regular gear. Yeah, he, <laughs> and he kills it across both shows. He is insane. Like I didn't realize I was watching the same Honda, to be honest. Because yeah. I'm a lot more knowledgeable on his deathmatch in New Japan days. I've never really seen the sort of shoot style... Honma and here he is spiking himself on his head, bloody diving outside, throwing some pretty stiff shots, and yeah, just throwing himself around like he doesn't care. Yeah, and he's but, got a real voice. Yeah, this is probably before he got dropped on a guardrail one too many times. Um, um, yeah, that's. That's what happens to those uh, voice boxes. This is the reason why John Laurinaitis sounds like he does, because Steve Williams dropped him on a guardrail one note through throat first. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's why they sound raspy. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was just, it's just interesting to see him doing different things, but it, the, the four guys he's working with are very good at what they do. You know, um, They're all, like, my age. That's worrying. <laughs> uh I was looking up uh, Okamoto, and he didn't. He's like he didn't last much longer after this. He retired in '98, um, which is you know the speed that they're going is understandable, really. Uh, Junji Tanaka is still wrestling. Actually, he wrestles for Noah um, Pro Wrestling Noah and for Kayushi Pro Wrestling. That's an indie company. Um, who else have we got on this match? Do, 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 do. We know what's happening with uh, Honma. Uh, Yamakawa is wrestling. He's 50 years old. Still wrestling for B, BJ Pro. He's a, he's a backstage worker for Big Japan Pro Wrestling, so I'm guessing he's probably a booker or a producer. 
I think I've seen him a couple of times on backstage segments, but mm. probably why he looked familiar. Yeah. Okay, uh, the next match was one of the big matches of the card, and it wasn't really good. It was Katsumi Yasuda versus Yutaki Fujita for the big GAW World Junior Heavyweight Championships, uh, a title that is still defended to this day and is still highly respected amongst junior heavyweights. And it's still kind of this style. It's not a big, flashy aerial style you expect with the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. It's not straight up ground and pound like you expect with the AJPW World Junior Heavyweight Championship or with the NOAA GHC Junior Heavyweight Championship. This is a bit more like a shoot-style promotion doing things. It's very lean young men doing very uh, austere defensive wrestling maneuvers. Put some big submissions and throws in there to make things a bit more exciting. But no one's running the ropes much, and there's not much coming off the top rope. Occasionally, every once in a while. Reminds me of British wrestling, actually. It's very low-risk, high-intensity-with-the-characters kind of storytelling. What did you think of this one, John? Yeah, this was a lot more interesting than it first appeared it was going to be. For Jesus, oh, it looks like it's going to take a week to get going, to be honest with you. <laughs> it does, but then when it does pick up, it picks up. It's... See, I'm, so I'm quite forgiving with like technical wrestling, and I can get behind it if I give a about the people in the ring. And both guys seemed like, they were like right, we've got a vacant title, we're going to murder each other to get to it. Yeah. Well, murder each other with technical holds, but you get what I mean. Mm. They're kind of like, right, I'm going to tie you in as many knots as I can, and you're going to tap, and I'm going to take that title. <laughs> and it had the intensity you wanted, even if it wasn't the most exciting match. Mm. Not that it was going to be the most exciting match when you hear the cluster of a main event. No, this is true. This main event is something quite special, but we'll get there in the end. We haven't quite got there yet. What do you think of Yusuda as a champion and Fujiato as wrestlers? Because they, they've Yusuda was seemed to be much more. Um, how can I put this? It was kind of like well, he came from. I'm trying to remember if it was him that came from FMW from FMW from Pro Wrestling Fujiwara Gum. I think it was, wasn't it? I yeah. believe so. Yeah, it's interesting because he was a proper proper shooter because he was trained by uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara and used the Fujiwara armbar liberally. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting because Fujita became a deathmatch guy. Yeah, people probably now know him as Minoru Fujita, and he's still quite active on feet. In fact, I watched him last week at Choker Pro. Yeah, and I honestly was quite surprised at like his technical acumen because you don't see him use it that much anymore but like here he's he's keeping up with a shooter yeah you see i'm kind of taken aback (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting isn't it like it's just doing things differently i think and that's that's a really uh how can I put it? it? It's a very noble way of going about it. It looked like a really good wrestling match. He was just the right guy to challenge for this, even if he wasn't going to do it. I mean, Asuda obviously is coming in as a uh, from a different company. I don't know who he was working for at the time. I don't know what back in 98. Who was he working for in 98? Um, he was working for... He was working for Battle Arts, uh, oh, mostly. Nice. Yeah, so he was a proper hard case. Like The following year, he worked for Battle Arts, FMW, JWP project, Michinoku Pro, and Big Japan again. 
And then a year after that, he went to New Japan. And he's worked for everybody. I maybe did uh, Best of Super Juniors or something. Proper all-rounder, then. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's what Fujiwara was after. He was after guys who could do it all. Wrestle Pro Style, I mentioned. It kind of does go to show you that BJ, PW were trying to bring in everyone. Because this is like pretty much the most technical match on the card. Yeah, so I... had its spot after the after the Josh. Sorry, yeah, after the Joshi car crash. Yeah. Like they built up the show in like a variety show. Because the next match is something completely different. <laughs> yes, we have an eight man tag now. Remember when we look back at that War six man tournament? One of the teams from that is in this, and that is Koji Kitao with his band of brothers. Koki Kitahara and Iso Takagi. And he's also brought along Asuma Kawahara, big lad. Uh, and they went up against Daikakobu Benkai, best known to you today as Daisuke. Uh, oh, I've forgotten his name. Ah, look. Sakamoto. Uh, Daisaki Sakamoto. Kendo Nagasaki, obviously, of, you know, freaking Kendo Nagasaki. Kishin Kawabata and Shunmei Natsuki. And 19 minutes and 8 seconds of big lads wrestling. All of the big lads wrestling at the same time. And it was a thoroughly enjoyable match. If you like the big lad stuff, was a bit back and forth. Somebody bled halfway through. Uh, that made things a bit more interesting. But um, for what it was, it was fine. And you got to see some people have really good outings you had not really seen before. And you could tell, like, you know, how, how, well, how far was Sakamoto into his career at this point? He debuted in... 93. He was five years in. He'd started in war. I did not realise that. <laughs> he was two years in war. Uh, then he went to... Who's that? What's that company? Tokyo Pro. And then he went to Big Japan. He didn't start as regular Big Japan until 1998. There you go. And he wrestled with Big Japan mostly um, with a short stint for WEW or what FMW became. Uh, but yeah, so uh, interesting. You don't realise how old he is, how long he's been doing this stuff for. No, you really don't, because he doesn't look old. No. And he doesn't act it. Hang on a second. <laughs> now we say this, because that came up as a, as a thing, and we're going to sound really stupid, so let's put a long gap in here. What's happened? I looked up Sakamoto, and I definitely saw that Sakamoto was the same guy, but that Benkai is £352 and Sakamoto definitely isn't. We've um, got the wrong person here. I've got the wrong person entirely. And I don't know where I got that from. I think I got a mixed match search anyway earlier. I'll re we'll, we'll rewind and I'll edit all those things out. Let us go That's from... The Joshi match comes after the yeah. Honma one. Which, it, I don't know why things keep mixing things up. It's not hard to write matches in a correct yeah. order. Right then. Big long gap. From the top. So then, this big eight-man tag, an awful lot of big stars in it, John. What are your thoughts on this? This was... As you said, it was kind of just a lot of big-man action, which I'm okay with, but it's not always the most dynamic to watch. Then again, I don't think I can get tired of Katao just being like a surly <laughs> big guy who's literally just there to beat people up. 
surly jerk. Because it was the same in the war tournament. Easy to have a bone to pick with everyone and just watch the best people up. Oh, so that's, there was that film. Was, oh, I can't remember who it was. It was in it, but it's like, it's a, this guy said, I've always been an asshole. It's kind of my style. And he said, no, I never thought he was an asshole. More of a son of a bitch. And that's <laughs> that's Koji Katow. <laughs> it's like, he's really good in ring, but at the same time, you know, his opponents are bloody paying for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just not good, is it? Sometimes. You just look at it and you're like, oh, it's like the finish. He he basically just drops a guy on his head. I'm like, oh, that looks too close to the Austin Owen pile driver. Oh. Yeah. It. Oof, yes. Yes. Katow was not known for his subtleties in life. I don't care. I'm not particularly scree- squeamish when it comes to that stuff. Like, I see people get dropped on heads all the time, but that one, it was just kind of like, that's a very big man dropping another very big man <laughs> on his neck. There's not a lot of protection there. And I just kind of like, oh, I hope he tucks his neck. <laughs> he did a bit not much it was a bit more of an execution than a wrestling match but there you go um shall we go on to the main event yeah this was fun to watch but am i, am I allowed to read out the main event title if you read out the main event title for the other one because you wanted the other one didn't you no no this was the one i wanted this is one I, okay so pray silence. See, I, hang I on read... hang on hang on pray silence while well, mr john dinsdale introduces this main event match so this is Shadow 7, Shadow WX, Shadow Winger, and the Great Pogo versus Jason the Terrible, Shoji Nakamaki, Mitsuhiro Matsunaga, and Masked GK in the Wing Crisis BJW Big Born Death Match, which includes dramatic pause, <laughs> barbed wire boards, electrified fluorescent light tube boards, dry ice, thumbtacks, bed and nails, cactus scorpions, coffin, barbed wire danger net, nail baseball bat, barbed wire baseball bat, and electrified space heaters. Now, Holy shit, that is a lot <laughs> of items, and they are all there. They are indeed. You cannot complain. Um, it, it is the thing, all right? Obviously, they didn't have the big budget that FMW had or even Wing had, so they couldn't set fire to anything or bomb anything. So they tried to get as creative as they could with the environment as they could. This is where the contrivedness I'm not keen on starts, but certainly this is an impressive matchup, and the actual match itself is rollicking fun. It bombs along at a fair old pace with lots of violent things happening, and I found it thoroughly enjoyable. Um in the annals of uh, deathmatch history, where does it stand, John? See, this this gets quite high praise from me because I don't think I've ever seen like a deathmatch from its time period so crammed full of items and so just literally named. Like I've seen <laughs> sort of the Scorpion deathmatches, the Piranha deathmatches, the fluorescent tube deathmatch, things like that. I've never seen them just kind of throw everything in there for this big sort of faction warfare <laughs> and say right we've got a giant barbed wire net over there we've got all these toys have at it and just yeah it was madness absolute madness i felt sorry for the camera people having to keep up with all of this 
Because <laughs> they went everywhere. They they didn't just sort of say, right, we, we've got the ringside bit, we've got the net. No, nah, they, were, they were fighting into the crowd, into the stands, jumping off balconies. It was it was ridiculous. And it was just a load of fun. Sure, there were some contrived setup points, but you got the payoff of them. Yeah, it's reasonable, I think. So it, it 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 was just like it was big name matches and big name wrestling. It it you really kind of like told the story really well of what was going to happen with this show, and like Selt Pogo was the big bad and really kind of gave the lesser well known players a big platform to work from. I certainly was impressed with a lot of people in that match that I didn't think I would be. You know, um, what's his face there? Yeah, um, Shadow Winger and Shadow WX and Shadow 7 were obviously Pogo's kind of like guys. They were just there, but also they're all notable wrestlers that could all go and it's well worth watching them do the things they do. You know, it, it worked really well. I really enjoyed it. For those of you who want to know, uh, Rocky Santana, that was Shadow 7. Um, he's 64 these days, still wrestling in Mexico City. <laughs> <laughs> of course he is. 51 years a pro. Um uh, the Mexican Onita, he's known as. There you go. Uh, in in Mexico, where are we? Shadow Seven. That's the same bloke. Can't possibly the rest. Right. <laughs> hit the wrong one there. Like ugh. Shadow Winger uh, was Winger. Uh, he was a character from Wing. Funnily enough, um, his real name is. Oh, can't remember his real name. It's not written on here. I can't remember it. It's interesting because um. Cause oh yeah, Takashi Okano. That's it. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna say we'll just we'll subtly sweep that one under the rug if we couldn't remember. No, it. no, she's got the right. Yeah, his real name is Takashi Okano. He was funnily enough trained in the FMW dojo by Miguel or the IWA dojo by El Gran Apache, Miguel Perez, Silver King, and El Texano. Oh damn! That's, yeah, that's quite so the very rest, very lucha background for him, and then Shadow WX. 50 years of wrestler, <laughs> so Satoru Shiga, um, he's still wrestling, believe it or not. Was, um, Shadow WX is slightly more sort of infamous because there was a very big accident involving him yeah. a long ass time ago with fire. And it, yeah. I remember that, reading about that when I was researching BJW in the past. Uh, well, yeah, last last year, Shadow WX wrestled Necro Butcher in an MLW show in Okamana, Okamakaina town. Seriously? Uh, yeah, in Osaka. I'd, yeah. I, at an MLW show? Major League Wrestling. Oh, hang on, no. That's the MLW Japan is an independent promotion. I was going to say. Not, like, not that MLW. This is a really good card. You'd love this. <laughs> Next week's episode? Uh, I'm not sure if you're on telly. Shadow WX versus Necro Butcher in a no rope barbed wire lemon Salamonthal death match. Jesus Christ. There <laughs> that you sounds go. amazing. Yeah. Um, and that's that Shadow WX. He learn something new every day. He must be in his 60s. He Shadow is a 50, WX. He's a 50 year pro and he debuted 
Hang on a second. Oh no, he's fifty years old. Not not he's not in his fifties. Yeah, he's not a fifty-year pro. I got the wrong column there. Sorry, I do apologize. But he's a twenty-five-year pro. He's been at this for over half a life. It was quite a late start than a twenty-five-year pro. If you started at twenty-five, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, he was a very big name in part of the BJW Deathmatch division, alongside Mitsuhiro Matsunaga. Yeah. Who was also in this match and takes the plunge into the barbed wire net. Yes. Uh, also, the, the 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 scorpions. I'm not keen on the whole scorpions. Firstly, for animal cruelty purposes, let's be honest. They're not particularly... Those scorpions must have been distressed. I'm no, like, expert, but I'm pretty sure when you've got eight wrestlers rampaging around you and the strings rings vibrating under you, you're not going to be happy scorpion bunnies, are you? I mean, in fairness, they were used maybe once or twice, and that was just wrestlers having their head near them. For yes. the most part, they were just in a sealed container. But it, oh, there is also the point that it just, like, it went off like a, a fart in a thunderstorm, to be honest with you, just because it's like, oh, look, there's a guy being, like, you know, pressed into scorpions over there, but we can't really see it for the other 17 wild things that are happening out the ring around the ring. <laughs> I think... You know, it's it's got to be big gestures with this style of wrestling, and that was probably perhaps a step too far towards the subtlety. Maybe. I think my fi- one of my favourite spots from the match is just masked GK, someone who I'd never heard of, who is a master wrestler in what looks like a very velvety suit. <laughs> and he's just walking around swinging a space heater at Pogo, and they duel. I'm wondering... He's got the same kind of like uh, sway about him, if you will, as um, Shinya Kajika. I've seen Shinya Kajika wrestle a lot, and I'm wondering if it's the same dude. It it might be because oh, of course, because he's caught his ring name is the Great Kajika. There you Mask go, GK. Mask GK. There you go. It, a bit it, of detective work there. It very well could have been, to be honest, because he doesn't seem to appear anywhere else, if you no. think. No, he, so he, well, he didn't have to do much in that way, and he'd retired by that point, I think, hadn't he? So. He's still active now. Well, yeah. He's it, the, I think he's the world's oldest, most active wrestler. <laughs> he's not, when we say active, it's he, relative. <laughs> he took part in the Barber Memorial Show. Yeah, he does. He does battle royals. He can never roll around in a battle royal really quite well. The last, the first thing I saw him in was that um, New Year's Eve battle royal with Kaintai Dojo and BJW and K Dojo. That one, um, oh, yeah. where there was 108 wrestlers. Well, not 108 wrestlers. It was 96 wrestlers and 108 characters. <laughs> hell. Yeah, um, of every little sub promotion that they do as well. Like Abdullah Kobayashi was one character, got kicked out as Abdullah Kobayashi, and Kay had to come back as a different character, but didn't have time to get back. So he just, like, they started counting him. So he just, like, put, a, he's a goat pig god in another another promotion. So he just had to put his pig god mask on in, in front of the crowd. Someone had it ready for him. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, because BJW, they are fun. They're a good, fun bunch. They do have a sense of humour. Right, let's move on to the second show we're going to look at, which was on the 23rd of May, 1998. This was at Ghost and Niigata, Japan. 900 sell out at the Nasana City Great Hall. Uh, and it opened with Shadow Winger, Winger, 
versus Potro Salvage. So I'm just going to say winger like that from now on because it's just ace. Uh, in uh, this was the match where Salvage um, overshot his uh, sent um, Asai moonsault and nearly landed in the third row. In fact, he did land in the third row. Yeah, uh, yeah this was this was fun, but Salvage needed to calm down. Yeah, in my opinion, he got carried away a bit. This is where the sort of clumsy comes into it because a lot of the time he's he's going for some messing it up going for it again and still messing it up <laughs> it's like a for effort but maybe tone it down if you can't do it because like shadow it says shadow seven on the thing i'm looking at but shadow winger winger's there just trying to bloody compensate for it <laughs> <laughs> and he wins with quite a nice catch submission actually he did. You know, Winger was uh, obviously came from Wing and was one of their kind of motto guys, like as in Wing Kanemura. So he was like very much attached. The trouble is when you attach yourself and identify yourself with one promotion and then you go somewhere else, you kind of get stuck because then you're an outsider instantly. Whereas if you're a bit more neutral in your approach, then the fans won't hate you if you go to another company. I mean, it's great if you want to go into a heel faction. It limits your options. And you should always go into a promotion with all available options. The Roddy, you know, the Roddy Piper rules of going into a ter- territory. There were Roddy Piper rules? Roddy Piper had rules about what you should do when you went into a territory. You should always start as a heel. No matter what happens, negotiate to start as a heel. Because if you turn, if you start as a face, it's much harder to turn heel if they really love you. Whereas it's much easier to turn face if you're a heel. So you always start as a heel. You have about a year as a heel, and then you can probably make the baby face run last eighteen months, and then you go out. Fair enough. Because then, yeah, because you don't want to. You want to be around long enough to make some decent money, but not around too long as you cause yourself problems. Because people expect makes, things from you. There you go. It actually makes logical sense for the territory. Yeah, it does. Because it's like he started in. Um, he started in Canada, obviously. Then he got sent to California for seasoning. And the promoter really liked him. He was mates with him, and he kind of took him under his wing. And he explained a lot of things of how to book a territory. And the wrestlers in L.A. were... Uh, it was really interesting, because like they'd had the gorgeous George era in the 50s, and it had gone through the roof. And then the bottom had fallen out in the 60s. So by the time he came along in the late 60s, there was lots of stars in California who never made it because the business bombed out. It was just one of those things. But there was a bunch of very bitter wrestlers who hated him because he represented the next generation who were going to get the good stuff. You know, if you, he'd be wrestling match, he'd be wrestling spot shows and the guy would just say, right, you're going to sleep now. And he put sleep on him and you're going to go out in five. And he'd wake him up when he was ready. He'd wrestle him unconscious for like a minute and then wake him up again. Bloody yeah. <laughs> um, if you listen to, if you want to listen to that, it's the Roddy Piper talks with uh, Colt Cabana on the Art of Wrestling. I'm sure you can find it somewhere, and probably officially too. Um, but yeah, Roddy, Roddy kind of like went in deep from that Colt Cabana show about like, here's what you do to get into a territory. Here's what you do to look after your business. Here's what you do to like get out of a territory. And he said he saw enough people. I remember he was doing like that Legends Roundtable, and he was saying, like, he said he saw wrestlers that 
got everything right, but somebody didn't like them and they, they just got blackballed. You know, and they said it's very subtle how they do it. They said if you somebody's got a problem with you in your territory, when you're in a territory, they don't fire you. They get someone else from a different territory to come and make you an offer. And then they will go and then you take your family across the country, you rehouse your kids, you get them in different schools, you get settled into the territory, and then they don't book you. <laughs> this is it's like wrestling promoters in the sixties and seventies weren't just like they were they were like one step off of evil. That's pretty sociopathic to be honest. Yes, but that's the way it goes. We kinda of went off the point here, but yes, that happened. Definitely happened. That's it. Shadow Winger versus Porta Salvage. Uh, the next match was Net Farley, and she defeated Miho Kawasaki in 15 minutes and 57, 58 seconds of a corking little Joshi match. This was really good. Net Farley was the the luchadores, as we talked about earlier. Miho Kawasaki was this shoot-style uh, wrestler. That, yes. Are we looking at the right show here? I'm looking at 23rd of... Um, yeah. 23rd of March. Ah, 23rd of March, 23rd of May. Crap. I mean, technically, you um, you've saved the first bit because it's Shadow Seven, Shadow Winger. We can just pretend they're the same. First. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Who's there? Because I'm like, hang on a second. I'm sure there was a Joshi match before the Buffalo Salvaje match. Where are we? Twenty third of March. Twenty third of March, ninety eight. BJPW Bloody Saw Desert match. There ain't one. There was not a show on the 23rd of March, 998. There was one on the 25th of March. I'm pretty sure I was looking at one yesterday. From... Because it... What's that? Cage match? Yeah. Jason Taylor, says Masanaga. 25th of the 3rd. Bloody Sword Desert match. 3rd, 25th. 25th of the 3rd. Yeah, that's right. Now, you were right. In the end, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, let's go with that singles match then, the Joshi match, and I'll re-edit that, the Shadow 7 Buffalo Salvage match in later, and oh, we'll figure it out. So, believe Big one, Gap. This one's been a bit of a clusterfuck, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, this week has been generally. I'll explain at a later date. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, let's go from this one. Aoki Koyama and Miso, Miho Kawasaki. Okay, next up was Ao Kawayama versus Miho Kawasaki. Miho Kawasaki was the kick-orientated lady from the match on the previous card. This was very good. I like Miho Kawasaki a lot. I think she's really cool. Uh, I think she's a very good wrestler. What's your thoughts on this one, John? I wish they'd shown a bit more of it, because unfortunately this one was more of a clip show until it got to the main event. Yeah. For what they were showing, it looked like one of those sort of rough-and-tumble scrap-type matches. There was a lot of striking, a lot of sort of we're just going to try and overpower each other by sheer force of flailing. That sounds <laughs> like I'm being mean, but in lit- literally the amount of strikes being thrown per second, it was pretty impressive. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the finish was meant to be, though, because it was. It looked like they had their shoulders up, so they put them down again. They still had their shoulders up, but then they counted the pin anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that kind of confused me but like the match itself was really good it it just looked like a proper fight it was like a joshi shooter match <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's very stiff really wasn't it um yeah yeah um 
yeah, no, it was good for what it was. Uh, I'm just looking up names. Miho Kawasaki did not last long in the business. She lasted two years into the business, believe it or not. She quit really? in 1998. This was her final year. She'd been a rookie. She started off with BJW. She wrestled for Tokyo Pro and for Gaia. She had one match in Gaia, but she was mainly BJW wrestling. She uh, stopped in 1998, which is unfortunate. Um, however, uh, where are we? Oh, I've lost my place now. 25th of March. There we go. Right, there we go. Um, yeah, the Akaya Kiyama still wrestling occasionally. Oh, okay. She does several shows. The last appearance was in 2017. Uh, and she was at the Alaya Retire. Well, no, she retired uh, at the retirement, produced the final at Shinjuki Face. Uh, and she won the Battle Royal on that night. Uh, prior to that, she was also. On the, she was also on the 2016 uh, Alaya 20th anniversary produced, where she tagged with some Masoto Tanaka and Atsushi Anita versus Dump Matsumoto, Kuzikawa, and Miss Mongol. Damn. Which sounds like a hellacious match to me. Yeah, <laughs> I, that's intriguing. Yes. Um, next, we'll move on to the next match, which was uh, Miko. I'm going to put a break in here so I can edit this. The next match was Makoto Saito and Masahiro Mategi versus Jensuke Kobayashi and Yuchi Taniguchi. Tanaguchi. Now, we talked about Kobayashi and Taniguchi before. They were making a cracking tag team. They didn't do as well against Saito and Mategi, but actually this moment may have been the better of the two tag team matches that these two teams were in. Again, it's edited highlights. The best stuff wasn't all there, and that does make a match seem more exciting. But it was good. I liked it. What did you think of this one? Yeah, I really enjoyed this. It was a lot of... Fun. Unfortunately, Kabayashi and Teneguchi were kind of made to pair. A bit. <laughs> it was a very beat-down heavy match. I mean, they they worked with what they had, but again, the younger people really made to suffer. <laughs> yeah, it was good though. I really liked it. It was just so solid, a piece of work. Myself, I I just thought it was just so. Just a good wrestling match, just a good tag match. That's what my thoughts on this were. Yeah, I can't disagree with you. Right, where are we? I've lost my sheet again. Uh, okay, then, so the next matchup we had Ryuki Yamakawa and uh, Yoshihira Tajiri versus Minoru Fujita and Tomiyaka Honma. Yes, that Yoshihiro Tajiri. We'll get to more in, in a minute. We've got the correctly known name Minoru Fujiata this time. So you get Fujita, sorry, my bad. Uh, So we can find him a bit easier on cage match. (laughs) But again, this was a corking professional wrestling match involving very big name stars before they were big name stars. Not long after this, Yoshihiro Tajiri made his debut in CMLL and never looked back for about 15 years as his excursion took him from CMLL to ECW and from ECW to the WWE and didn't really need to return to Japan until, which possibly classifies as the longest excursion of all time, um, essentially. Because by the time he got back to the IWA, the company he originally worked for, it pretty much was out of business. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And to be honest with you, given the reputation of IWA at the time, he probably had made way more money 
and had a much safer and much longer career. I mean, he's still going now. Yeah, this is he it. He was the BJW junior, junior heavyweight champion last year. Yeah. I, I don't know if he still holds it now. I think he lost. No, he did lose it. Yeah, he's got his own promotions as well. You know, he, he started Crash, a new wrestling classic. Um, he's, yeah, he's done all sorts of things in the wrestling industry. He, some of them not so good. He was the first first company to not pay for wrestlers' airfare to work in Japan. Hence, there's always why some of his imports in Crash and Wrestling uh, Wrestling New Classic weren't um, best, put it that way. He was the first person to book Dave Finley as a main eventer in Japan, though. Oh, no. Yeah. Crash, um, the last show of Crash, um, Dave Finley was the heavyweight champion. And he said uh, on his final promo, he said, keep wrestling classic before he went back to the WWE. And that's what became the name of the new company was wrestling new classic. But anywho, uh, back then. It was amazing. So, yes, it was all over the place. Did some incredible stuff. What did you think of it? I think this bar the main event is my favorite match in the card. It was really fast. It was really hard hitting. Again, Honma, complete disregard for his own body. <laughs> Vegeta, working well with someone with a complete disregard for their own body. Jiri, <laughs> you could already sort of see the makings of a star. And Yamaka, yeah, everyone just played their part perfectly. Yeah. It was very tense, very back and forth, very close. The, the spike pile driver from Vegeta and Honma looked vicious. And it's it is. <laughs> it was just so much to enjoy. It was great. Yeah, stars of the future working together. You know, I always liked Tajiri. The first time I saw Tajiri, he was wrestling Chris Jericho in CMLL of all places. And they were blistering each other for about 20 minutes. And I was like, this is amazing. How did this happen? <laughs> See, I didn't, I, I didn't get to Tajiri until WWE, but that's because I came to rest well. I was a kid in the 90s, so... Well, pre-ECW, Tajiri was a very different kind of cat. Much more like this. He wore blue tights with a little rising sun flag symbol on them, white kick pads over blue boots and blue shoe shoes. So you imagine that walking into Arena Mexico. And it's a bit of a shock to the system because, like, you're supposed to have big, flashy costumes and impressive ring entrances, and there's this guy who just kicks people really hard, walks to the ring, and the fans loved him for it because he was just different. You know, get over anywhere, Tajiri. Get over an empty room. (laughs) See, I'll just always appreciate him because he was the first time I ever saw the Poison Mist in wrestling, a move that is still very much close to my heart. Indeed. So, actually, funny we should mention that. Um, someone was having a go at uh, Asuka for using the Poison Mist on uh, like last year and someone said you stole that from Rosemary from Impact Wrestling and Rosemary said no there's many of us that use the mist and I, it wasn't me that did it first and I pointed out to Rosemary I said well you know she was trained by Tajiri who was also a very famous user of the mist and she said yes you're exactly right that's one of the, re- one of the you know this is a long tradition that we all pay into, and I think we can all pay back it, pay it back to Great Kabuki. So, yeah, uh, interesting little tech there. Yeah. Asuka was actually trained by Tajiri, or one of her trainers, one of her mentors was Tajiri. I, just, I remember 
hearing the same thing. It's like, oh, she didn't learn the mist. I'm like, she was trained by Tajiri. Of course she was, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Because I always love that the sort of mist is handed down to whoever uses it. And yeah. There is, there is an incredible shot somewhere of Kabuki, Muta, and Tajiri tagging together and all blowing mist at the start of the match. <laughs> That's just perfect. Yeah. It is, there's definitely one of Muta and Tajiri, Muta and Kabashi, uh, sorry, Muta and Kabuki doing it together. But I think there's one with Tajiri as well, and they're all blowing mist because they all do it at different levels. Like Muta like, leans forward and uh, Kabuki does it into the air and like, Tajiri crouches down to do it, so it's like this this beautiful tiered like portrait of three people. That just sounds amazing. Yes, obviously, like uh, Kabuki can barely walk back then, <laughs> but yeah, it's still the match you want to see in it. Them three against anybody. Um, but yeah, it's just brilliant, just lovely little match, lovely little wrestling match. But it's four youngsters trying to prove a point, which is really one awful lot of great Japanese wrestling is about. The I next don't one. I can add anything to that? No, the next one was not that. It was Kishin Kobata who defeated Gendo Nagasaki. Believe it or not, you see, this is a guy who's like not afraid to show his ass, as they say in the business. He's a guy who's quite happy to get younger people over because then he's got more people to wrestle. Uh, Kawabata is still with us, wrestling-wise, at least. Mm. Also wrestles for Big Japan Pro Wrestling still. He had a bit of a break um, uh, in the mid-late 2000s, from 2014 to 2017. Did he retire? But he wrestled for Noah for most of it, of the 2000s, funnily enough. He had one year where he wrestled for about seven different companies, but most of his time from 2000 until recently was for Noah. A couple of matches for All Japan. Uh, but he's back in BJW these days. And actually started in Super World Sports, which he would have done with um, Kendo Nagasaki, because Kendo Nagasaki was one of the bookers for Super World Sports. Oh, damn. Everything comes full circle. He would have done. I was just trying to look, because there's a gap there as well. He had 1993 off, went to war where Nagasaki worked again. <laughs> FMW, and then he's joined BJW in '95, which was the year that um, uh, that was the year that Nagasaki and uh, Kojima started it, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Um, See, I'll never get over the fact that one of my favorite BJW matches is Kendo Nagasaki versus Mitsuhiro Matanaga in a Piranha Death match. <laughs> so it's like you see him here in. What's basically a, a one-sided beatdown as Nagasaki continuously gets hit by chairs, by people yeah. <laughs> just rushing him. And then a little later down the line, he's putting Mitsuhiro Matsunaga in a tank full of piranhas with a barbed wire board. You just like... <laughs> BJW was a weird place. It was. It's like... It's um, gloriously weird. Just very, very weird. Just like... It's going, you know, you've heard the phrase shock and awe. FMW's awe, whereas uh, BJW is shock, I think. Yes. Yes. They're not <laughs> after the big spectacle. They're after trying to do as much as they possibly can with the little as possible. Um, speaking of which, the main event. <laughs> uh, Great Pogo, Shadow 5 and Shadow WX. Is it Shadow V or Shadow 5? Uh, Shadow 5, because Shadow 7 was in a match earlier. 
Okay, then. Uh, and Shadow WX, W is not a Roman numeral. Okay. <laughs> they lost, anyway, against Jason the Terrible, Masahiro Matsunaga, and Shoji Nakamaki. Uh, Nakamaki has been a favorite on the Beginner's Guide to Japanese Wrestling because he's appeared for everybody not long after he quit or he was fired somewhere else. Former wrestling journalist, as Mick, who, as Mick Foley said, not much of a ring general. He just laid there bleeding and screaming. And boy, did he bleed and scream in this. <laughs> uh, to be fair, he, d- he did more in this match than he did in the, the stadium match. Oh, yeah, I've seen him do more in this match than he did most of his career, to be honest with you. This was the Bloody Sword Desert Death Match, which was the main event for this show, which featured a Sawzall, which, <laughs> you know... Normally, I'm used to seeing a Sawzall on Hot Rod Garage uh, on Motor Trend, where Lucky Costa will slice open a piece of uh, 1950s Cadillac and go, I'm a surgeon with this thing. Well, great pogo, not so much a surgeon. But he did take apart a large cacti with and, a uh, reciprocal Nak- saw. And Nakamaki's head. And Nakamaki's head. He also used a drill at one point. I've forgotten which match this was in because it's kind of like gone back and forth. Was it the first match where he used a wood bit in yeah, an electric he, drill? He put a bit of cactus on a drill and <laughs> stuck it in Nakamaki's head. Oh, God. Anywho, Jason the Terrible, big fan of Jason the Terrible, big fan of Matsuhiro Misanaga. Pogo as well. Shadow V, uh, sorry, Shadow 5 and Shadow WX, not in so much of their stuff, but they are very, very good. Nakamaki's Nakamaki. He's good value for money. I mean, you wouldn't want him against Terry Funk or anything, would you? But, you know, Nakamaki, Matsunaga and Terrible, fairly handy team. So are the other guys. Thoroughly entertaining. What's your thoughts on this one, John? See, this match benefited from its own rules because it started with two people and two more would come in as time went on. Yes. So you could always have these dramatic bouts set around the cacti. Because it, yeah. it was it was properly structured, so I think it, it was oh was it Pogo and Matsunaga that started? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Then you got Nakamaki and Shadow Five, and then WX and Terrible finished it out, and you just you got all this sort of build up to again a glorious cluster of a match. Because <laughs> <laughs> it again they just. They start off relatively tame, and then all of a sudden, Pogo's got a sawzall and a bloody thing that's got more spikes on it than I don't know what. It's like, it's a sickle. If an alien saw a sickle and thought, right, we're going to make this ten times sharper. <laughs> like That oh, yeah. thing had spikes on spikes on spikes. And Is then it the... had an... And it had a knife attached to the end of it. I was just there looking at it, I'm like... That thing is about 97% spikes. <laughs> and he's yeah, just the, it, swinging it at people. It is the FMW sickle with more grooves and sharp bits added to the actual blade on the back edge of the blade. And then there's a grip guard as well. So if someone, I don't know, attacks you with a sword against your hand, you can protect your hand. Um, however, it is very, very frightening, especially when he's swinging it. <laughs> or you're wrapping it around your neck. For a yes. Hand. Like he did several times in this match. Yeah, it, it's just yeah, it's just good fun. Matt Naga, I love the fact he takes everything so seriously. Like, this is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Not a hint of a smile. Absolutely no sells everything. Yeah, just walks lock, in, starts kicking people. He locks Shadow Five in a sharpshooter with a cactus 
between his leg. It's amazing. <laughs> it is a like, bit ridiculous. The creativity on Shaw, though, it's like you take this premise where it's like, right, you're going to be in a death match with a lot of cacti taped to the ring posts. Reckon you can make it? And they're like, yes. <laughs> what did you think of Jason the Terrible? Because I love the guy. And I don't think he gets the respect he deserves in North America because he only really made it in Japan. See, I already liked Jason the Terrible because when I clicked on this, because obviously when I saw him, I'm like, right, that's clearly Jason Voorhees. I clicked on his cage match and it's like one of his names is literally Jason Voorhees. <laughs> except it's J-A-Y-S-O-N. Yes. And I'm just like, copyright be damned. But in ring, yeah, he was really good. He could take a bloody beating. Yeah. And I love the fact that he had the common sense to headbutt someone with a hockey mask on. Yeah, like, yeah. It's attention to detail like that that makes me appreciate you more. Yeah. It's, it's just... like it's like MLW with uh, Myron Reed. He wears a chest protector and he uses it in a match. Because it's yeah. like this proper Kevlar bloody bulletproof vest thing. And he uses it like a weapon. Mm. If I love it when people pay attention to details like that. Yes, because it makes you more realistic. And then he took the mask off and he had a skull pit on his face. I was just kind of like, yeah, I, I, I approve of this guy. He's awesome. I love the guy. I've been watching him for a long time. I just think, like, of all the deathmatch wrestlers of this particular era, he's my favorite because he just genuinely is a charismatic guy. He doesn't need all the trappings. He doesn't even need the deathmatches. He would make money wherever he was. He started off as a heel in IWA, I think. And then just slowly migrated to being a babyface. So much so, the fans nicknamed him Wing Spirit because he essentially was the name of Wit. He was the essentially like the Undertaker of Wing, even to the point of doing the sit-up move. Trained by Johnny Rods in upstate New York, and was from actually from Puerto Rico. Uh, love the fact that his Puerto Rican gimmick name was Jason El Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, this is just a clacking match. You should go see it. It's just good stuff. If you've got a couple of hours ago, this one especially, this one's an hour and it rollicks along. The only main event is at full pace and everything else is just nice little highlights. It's a good one to wet your feet on if you want to try some BJW, I think. See, what do you think? So this just made me nostalgic because I, I was a sort of WWF kid of VHS tapes. <laughs> Fell out of favour with wrestling, and then I think it was oh, kind of around the birth of YouTube and proper internet, I started finding clips of things based off of watching the Hell in a Cell match, and eventually it got to BJW, and I started seeing matches with Abdullah Kobayashi, Ryuji Ito, and as I sort of kept researching, I got drawn into the sort of classic period with guys like Matsunaga pogo shadow wx and to sort of revisit them and get to talk about them in a bit more detail if you can call my rambling detail <laughs> it's, it makes me happy like this company it hasn't changed much over no. the years it lost it, it didn't doesn't have the women's division anymore but that, i guess that's because joshi company's kind of cornered the market on that yeah you don't really see any but then again, even DDT tends to just bring people in from TJPW, which is like a partner promotion with them. Mm. So no company really has a women's division anymore in Japan. No. But you saw BJW willing to try it. 
because they were mainly competing with like the Joshi companies and the IWA women's division, which Jesus Christ, some of the death matches the IWA women did. Yes, we haven't looked at that. We should look into that, really. I think um, I've only ever found like two examples on YouTube, but they are vicious, horrific. But yeah, well, I I know that um, Emmy Sakura was trained in IWA and ended up going to FMW because in IWA she ended up wrestling the guys a lot um, because there wasn't enough women on the roster and she was one of, like the last women to go through the dojo or the last woman to go through the IWA dojo, and then she ended up in FMW because IWA just stopped booking women. And she wasn't particularly well liked in IWA because she, sorry, in FMW because she come from IWA, and it kind of like kind of set her up for politics, and that's why she started Ice Ribbon. <laughs> you know, she had she had such a good head for wrestling politics because of all the stuff she'd been through. That finding Ice Ribbon, your own wrestling company, that was a doddle. I could do that, yeah, no problem. And now she's heavily invested in Gator Move and Chaka Pro and things like that. Yeah, and so she started. She when she left Ice Ribbon, she started a promotion in Thailand. I think it's still going. She is like she's like a missionary of Joshi. It just kind of goes to show you people dub like the IWA and companies like FMW trash wrestling, but look at the people that came out of them. Yeah, look at BJW. It's a mecca for all kinds of wrestlers. They yeah. look. Drew Parker is currently there on a long term contract. The future of British deathmatch wrestling is training in probably the greatest deathmatch company in the world. It's BJW never really changed. It be, it wanted to be a hybrid company, and it's become a. It still is one of the best diverse, yeah, sort of hybrid companies because you've got New Japan, DDT people. DDT, no, actually, I'll retract that one because that's yeah, I was going to say that's the ultimate, yeah. Sort of, all around a promotion but like you've got the big sort of japan promotions and then there's bjw on a tier two itself because yeah i think i think like noah has a house style you look at you don't have to have like a, a canvas or ring pad coverings to know a noah car do you you watch noah and you know it's noah and the same with all japan the same with new japan whereas bgw you kind of like got a six ring circus still haven't you stuff different stuff that's going on and they make it work. Yeah, very much so. I would agree with that. You know, it's it's a cracking company, and they do cracking wrestling things, which is really what we look for in the Terror of the Troopity show. Find things that are different. We like different here, and this is very different, and it's well worth a watch and well worth your time. I mean, if you weren't sold on the name of the first main event we talked about, then <laughs> I don't know. You, you just... Too much of a traditionalist. <laughs> right then, we'll call it for today. But thank you for listening to my show today. My name is James Troopany. This has been my show. I'd like to thank Mr. John Dinsdale for helping me present the show today at the History of BJW back in 1998. Thank you very much for your time, sir. Where can we find you on your social medias? I am John Deathman on Twitter, the edgiest Twitter handle you will find. <laughs> there you will find links to everything else that I kind of have. My writings, the deathmatch stuff, the tweets about current issues, just, yeah, you name it, you'll find it there. 
<laughs> okay, you can find me at Troopany Show. Sorry, at me at Sheriff Lone Star. You can find the show at Troopany Show on Twitter. You can find it at the Troopany Show on Facebook and on Patreon, where you can keep the Troopany Show free forever for everyone. Please go see our sponsors, Empire Wrestling Magazine. Lots of things coming out there this week, and also PowerSlam.tv, where if you use our code MulletWatch, you will get a free month. Thank you for listening today. Take care, and I will see you soon. Goodbye. I. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv.